Listeners, welcome back to another episode of the Business of Wellness podcast. I hope you all are doing so well and staying warm and preparing for the holiday season as best as possible, as best as one can really be expected to at this point, honestly. I cannot wait to share this week's interview with you. My guest today is the founder and CEO of Baraby. Baraby is a weighted blanket product. So I'm thrilled to have another founder, CEO of a consumer products of a consumer product on the podcast. And by the way, if you are listening to this and wondering what should we pitch her, folks, this is it. I am so interested in hearing stories from real life founders and CEOs of consumer product brands, and especially to just hear their journey and what it has been like to be a founder, as well as the experience of being a CEO through some of the more tricky times that that we've all kind of weathered through the pandemic and, and present day. So I would love to hear from you. Please feel free to reach out. You know how to find me. Um, and of course, I think you guys are going to love this conversation. Catherine is originally from Germany. She was working for the World Bank when she had the idea for Barabee. So we're going to get into all of that. I personally love weighted blankets, but we touch on a lot of some of the issues that have come up within the space, within this, this specific area of consumer products and textiles, and some of the challenges that Catherine's faced in growing and scaling this, um, this product and the category. And I think you're going to find it really fascinating. So without further ado, let's get into it. You can find me across social media. Reach out. Let me know what you think at Jacqueline London RD and Jacqueline London on TikTok. And of course, as always, I've got to remind you to leave a five-star rating and perhaps a kind review, which will help this podcast grow because that's really my goal for 2024 is to help this podcast get into some of these ranking systems a little bit more consistently. We, we've had We've had our appearances here and there. That's all I'm going to say for now. And it's been fantastic. And I don't, I don't want to jinx anything. So I'm not going to say more, but write a review. That would really help. I love you guys. All right. Enjoy the episode. Catherine, welcome to the business of wellness. I'm so thrilled to have you. It's wonderful to connect with you. I have so many questions to ask you. So we've got to just dive right in. So tell, tell us a little bit about you, where, where are you in your product development journey? How did you become the founder of Faraby? We have many things. Let's start at the beginning. Where were you born? <laughs> so How about I, that? Yeah, so I, I was born in Germany um, in like a small town near Stuttgart where like, I don't know, for those who know, it's like where, uh, where they make a lot of cars. I uh, grew up there. And then um, from there, I, I kind of, I studied and I studied in the U.S. I did a master's um, in political science and administration at Columbia University, um, and then from there did my PhD uh, in economics. So I'm an economist by training, wow. and started my career in the World Bank uh, in Washington because I was really uh, interested in development work. So I moved to from there. I moved to the Middle East. I moved to Asia. Worked in different countries. And uh, yeah, really focusing on um, yeah in my career as a as an economist. Mm. Um, the only thing is like even as a kid, like growing up in in Germany, I always was a light sleeper. And then kind of once I like kind of turned thirty, mid thirties, like really like sleep became an issue for me. It's like I don't know if you can relate, but if you you know you can't fall asleep if you wake up multiple times. 
um, at night, it really affects your, affects your mental health. It affects your whole, like, your whole being, your well-being. So, and yeah. from there, um, kind of, like, a couple of years into my career with, like, constant traveling, flying across, like, different, um, like, countries, uh, being constantly on the road, I was just looking for, like, a natural sleep solution. So, no entrepreneurial thought in mind. Um and from there, I tried probably every product that's in the market, like starting with mattresses, sheets, white noise machines, like anything I could get my hands on to start experimenting how it affects me and if it helps. Yeah. And it just kind of like randomly, I came across an article about weighted blankets. And it was a medical journal, like a medical article where it was a product that was advertised for children. Um, like a heavy blanket that helps children sleep better. But in one of like the, the kind of like small print uh, towards the end of the article, it says it could also help adults sleep better. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. How can like a, just a heavy like blanket help people sleep better? But, you know, I don't have anything to lose. Why not? Why not give it a shot? So that's kind of how it started um, that I realized like that this weighted blanket's actually been around for more than 30 years it's not been a new invention um mm. there's been plenty of like medical um, and scientific research already around it um but at that point um it was not available like you couldn't order that on amazon or on any like website to use so i could get i could only get it in a pharmacy so i went to a german pharmacy it took like six weeks for me to get like a type of a bean bag that's yeah. filled with plastic beads. Right. So it looked really it looked funky. So kind of I, I ordered it in like my little room where I was like trying to travel and like take it with me. And then like with sleeping under it like for the first night, I just like realized as soon as I had put the blanket on me that I felt like after three to five minutes just somehow my nervous system calmed down. I felt relaxed and it just I fell asleep. And I slept through the night. So I was like, this is magic. So I've like, <laughs> I found like the holy grail. The thing is like, and I think from then I would have just moved on and said like, okay, great. I'm just sleeping under that blanket and then I can move on with my career. I didn't think that this would be anything business related or entrepreneurial journey related. The only thing what kept happening is that then um, the blanket made me really hot. So I kept waking mm. up. Just imagine if you have 20 pounds of plastic beads on your body, um, it's there's no way you can sleep under it for eight hours. It's not just a staple that like fits into your bedroom, like wellness slash wellness routine. And then I was just like, from there, just like looked for like, there must be any like version of this weighted blanket. I mean, it's been around for 30 years. That's like breathable or like just that I can sleep under for eight hours. That was like the only thing which was in my mind. And I realized that no one else had thought about it. So it was like the same product. No one had innovated anything. It seemed to help uh, a lot of people who are very positive about it. But then like by looking into like different forums, the same complaints kept coming up. People were like, I love this blanket. It's just so hot. I wish there would be something that is not as hot. And that's kind of where the whole like impetus started where I'm like, hmm, is there anything that I could experiment and figure out and, and solve that issue primarily with the in mind for me having that product. Mm -hmm. And I went to my boss and said, well, um, I have this idea. It's crazy. Um, and well, 
he was really encouraging and said, why, why don't you take a year off, um, see if you can get this off the ground. If not, we make a case study out of it because we were working at the World Bank with a lot of entrepreneurs. So like it was appealing to them to have that case study where you do something really by the book with the business plan, like step by step. You give yourself a year as a cutoff date. If it doesn't work out, we package it up nicely. We see what didn't work and see if other people will benefit from it. Right. And so I took that year off. And since then, I haven't been back <laughs> because people really liked the product. Um, but that's kind of how the whole thing started as, as Barabi, really me looking for a natural sleep solution and really believing like this is like a product that is worth for me. Like Because I, I think I realized already that when you do something entrepreneurial, it will take, I was thinking like at least three years but I mean, realistically, if you really want to build something meaningful and substantial, it, it takes a decade to build mm. a business. So finding a product that is worth, you know, sacrificing uh, your career and like really putting your heart and soul into the into the business for a very long time. That was something that was important for me. And, and, and that I had this with the with the weighted blanket where I had that connection where I felt this is something um, I wanted to invest my time in. Yeah. Wow. I mean, what a story. I have to double click on, on this one component that you mentioned, which I love, which is about the case study. I, I think that's fascinating. I'd love to hear more. So what else were you working on at the time at the World Bank? And and how were you approaching some of that trial and error that you were overseeing? So um, one of the parts I was working at the World Bank is like, I mean, it's already really difficult for women here in the United States to get financing funding yeah. I mean, generally entrepreneurs but then like uh, women are really struggling to get funding for their startups and now imagine a woman in bangladesh or a woman in india it's like it's almost impossible to get a loan or to get financing to get the business off the ground so yeah. there's one part of the world bank that works with banks to give access financial access for women so they can get the businesses off the ground so at that point I had like access and spoken to like so many women in different countries. So I, I was pretty familiar with like where are like the common struggles that women have um, in the in the early days of their business to get it off the ground. Where where are the hurdle rates? Not not only funding but also like non financial services. So and the idea was if I would just kind of like put myself really in the shoes uh, as a as a business owner and see like especially when you have, and I didn't have any external funding. So I took the funding from my retirement fund. So very comparable of bootstrapping the business. Um, and then the idea is like, what are the different steps? And then, I mean, starting out with manufacturing, I mean, coming up with a prototype. So obviously I had the idea, there are these blankets that have beads on it, plastic beads, but then like, how do I get into what we have now? Like the knitted weighted blankets So coming up with this prototype and once I had like that small weighted blanket that was just made of layers of cotton, mm -hmm. um, the first step is finding a, a supplier, a manufacturer. And I think I had like, I had to contact more than 50 manufacturers and I get like turned down by everyone where they said, well, this is apparel, like this is like not really a blanket home. We have never seen something like that. We cannot make it. So that was like the biggest hurdle in the beginning and then the second piece is so you then i realized i have a product that's completely new no one had done something like this you know like it's a knitted blanket that has like these layers of cotton 
um, that has like this layer to do, uh, is this like, can I get a patent for this? How would I file a patent? Um, so these are all like the steps where, but at the beginning I was like, I don't know, is that something I could get a patent for it? Um, how do I file a patent? Like just documenting all of those. And I mean, luckily I did uh, file a patent for it because now we have I think, more than 10 patents for it now. But yeah. in the early days, you just don't know. And it, it's expensive, right? Are you are you putting the money down to really like uh, invest in a patent lawyer? Uh, things like that, where it's just like very early on in the in the stage. And I haven't even like started with marketing because as an economist, I had like no clue, you know, what is a what is a brand? How do you market the product? How do you reach a consumer? Uh, all these things are like things that I had to like figure out. And I was like a one woman show in my living room at that right. point. So it's uh, I try to do it as much by the book and see like and kind of document the stages along the way, yeah. always thinking in the mind, like let's document like the things that went wrong that I could do better and that I could pass on um, to other women. So what not to do so oh. they have it easier. I love it. I mean, that's so invaluable. I can't even tell you. I also just think the idea of you knowing that your focus of you having that kind of awareness of, of the fact that you had that that towards the end that you had made a product that was going to require marketing and then not knowing where to begin. I, I feel like that's so relatable to so many people, even at smaller scales, at larger scales. Like I, I can't even tell you. I mean, I feel like it's for me always been a moment of reckoning where I'm like, wait, but I already did all this work. Like I <laughs> What do you mean I have to tell people about it now? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like the hardest think, thing, right? I think for me, I realized like with the early prototypes I had, it's like, and I wanted to have like friends and family test it out. Yeah. You know, when you're still at stage where you feel like they're doing you a favor, they're like, yes. okay, I sleep a night under it. And then, yeah, yeah it's, it's good. I like it or I didn't like it, but it was more like me pushing. Yeah. And then once I had the knitted weighted blanket, I had people who kind of suddenly my WhatsApp were like, hey, I have a friend who also wants it. And I recommend it. I want one for my daughter. I want one for my wife. So once you get into that, like I almost say like once people like get the product, not for themselves, but for loved ones yeah. and it's a gift. That's when I realized something has shifted where it's like now I'm kind of like leaning back. I'm like, well, I, I'm running out. I, I put you on a waiting list. But it's not like, hey, you want to try my blanket? So it took a couple of months, right, to get it right. Ah. Um, but then once I realized people want to gift it to their loved ones, then I thought, like, okay, that's there's something to it. I think now I'm starting to get closer to what yeah. it should look like. That's such a good point. I, it's something we don't talk. I feel like we don't talk about that enough, right? I, I, it's such a good point. It's like you can get great feedback from people, but when you get that feedback, that's like I want to buy this for somebody else. I, I mean, I have to tell you, like it, it. I have just to give up my own experience with this. So I wrote this book in 2019. It's I feel like it's been a slog to to continue. Even now, I, I still think about the marketing fails of this book, but I. But something, but I, I will say in, in my own small defense here is that I just, I think it's really hard to purchase a nutrition book for someone else, right? <laughs> You're like, yeah, I want to buy that for my sister. And it's like, oh God, like, what is she, you know what I mean? Like, what am I implying by buying a nutrition book for somebody else? So I completely relate to that. I think you're so, so spot on with that about consumer products, but I'm thinking there are a few loopholes <laughs> 
<laughs> I think it's also like how like the landscape is changing. I remember yeah. when we started in 2018, we still had to educate a lot of people on what weighted blankets are. Because like, why yeah. why is that blanket heavy? And now kind of a couple of like, I mean, five years later, it's like you see how people talk about it. It's different. Now people come and like, I know what a weighted blanket is. I want to understand how your weighted blanket is different from the other weighted blanket. And I guess with like nutrition, I, I also feel mm. like there's so much going on right now in the space yeah. where I don't think five years ago, people would care about glucose and glucose spikes. And now you mm. kind of see like how the conversation is shifting and people becoming more educated. And I think the early mover needs to do some work on the education and oh, kind of like yeah. takes time. You're putting like the content out, you're explaining like the science behind it. And then suddenly there's like that shift where people are like, I know all of that. Like, give me more details on how yeah. you're actually different. It's such a good point. It's like really listening, really paying attention to that when that demand shifts or when or how slowly that starts and kind of meeting different people where they're at, which is just its own unique challenge, but an amazing one. So I, let me ask you about the materials because I'm fascinated by this. So you started out thinking it's going to be plastic, but this is too hot or, or how, how exactly did that begin? And what, what kind of sparked that, that transition to, um, to moving toward cotton? It's cotton, right? Cotton. Yeah. Cotton, so yes. we have, um, so the first version was cotton. And then we also have a version with tensile, which is even more cooling, yeah. but when I looked at the landscape, it was literally just the same product. It was basically a plastic filling, like little plastic beads on the inside in quadratic pockets. Yeah. And then there were like two layers of plastic polyester cover on top on. And then you have like that that quilt that is like with shifting beads in between uh, that you are like just putting on your body. And based on that, some have more plastic in it. So from there, I was like, okay, um, obviously if you have polyester and plastic that's kind of like as hot as it gets yeah um, so one idea was like okay if we shift the materials like from the outside uh, I think that was the first step where like okay, it should be organic cotton that's breathable it's moisture wicking or tensile later on which is even more breathable um, mm. and has like a cooling touch so like just having natural airflow in the material but then I realized actually like the big change or like I think where they really like shifted the idea completely is can we take out the beads is there a way to make mm. a blanket 20 pounds or 30 pounds without putting any artificial filling materials inside and that's actually like where my mother came in because she's like uh, an expert knitter she was wow. the one like when I was little she would do all my like crafting homework so and then she saw me like kind of you know, sitting in a living room, experimenting <laughs> with like different fabrics. And she came with this big cotton roll and like just sliced it in like in different stripes and put like a thick yarn, thick cotton yarn together, like just like looping it together. And then by knitting it, um, we realized like, oh, wow, this gets really heavy. But like having like the natural airflow through the loops and the cotton is like you have weight. It's evenly distributed. You don't need any beads. And that's it. So it's like, a very simple, but I mean, you need to make like that one step of taking the beads out and realizing that you have these thick cotton loops that you get actually to 20, 30 pounds. And that's something like took us some time to experiment. But then we had like that small mini blanket. And that was the first prototype that my mother gave me and said, like, okay, now 
see how you can manufacture it. And that's when I started calling all these manufacturers and said, like, I have this small prototype. Is there, can you make that for me? Amazing. Amazing. I love that your mom was involved. That's so good. And so sweet. I love that like sort of full circle story, but it's true. I mean, I, I think about it now and I just think, I think it was probably around 2018 that I first even introduced myself to a weighted blanket much in a very similar capacity to what you described about your journey of struggling with sleep and wanting natural sleep remedies. And also I had that exact, like what you described before, I had that exact same experience, which is you try a weighted blanket and you're like, like, that's like the, it's a sound effect. It's not even a, there aren't even words. It's like, you just feel like everything relaxes, like when you're underneath that weighted blanket. So I really relate to that, but I also had similar experiences and then you get to those. And I think maybe it was like 2019 that, that I would start to see some of these on Amazon that would have like more synthetic cooling options, right? Like where you could find a cooling weighted blanket, but then you're like, what exactly is in here? And am I allowed to have that? (laughs) Like, should I be concerned about what's in some of the cooling, like the cooling beads, you know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. 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 All these kind of like, I think that's like the more I got also in the industry of kind of the foams and what's in our mattresses and like the right. chemicals that are in there. And I mean, like now, like the endocrine disruptors. It's, right. It's like, and I mean, like we're sleeping on that for eight hours and just like inhaling right. um, all that bad stuff. That's why, like, I think keeping it very clean and simple. And if I know in a product, it needs sheets. It's like, okay, I know this is 100% cotton. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, it's organic cotton and I don't have to worry uh, anything about um, because yeah. all these like cooling and like little tinctures and, and things that you can weave into fabrics. Um, yeah, first of all, I think it's also never fully cooling. It just has like a more right. like uh, like an artificial feel to it and yeah. you, mostly you don't know what's actually what's actually in that weave of fabric. So yeah, it's. I think, I think it's, it's interesting because it's almost like twofold. Like there was the, the cooling bead slash what is the artificial crap, technical term crap <laughs> in these weighted blankets. And then on the flip side, I also feel like the other thing that I can't wait to talk to you about is that I feel like my other struggle with experimenting with weighted blankets was short-lived, like it's like a couple months in over the winter or something. I think it was winter 2019. But anyway, my mother main struggle was that none of them looked cute. Like I wanted something that would look chic, like on my couch. You know, like I wanted it to be something more than it was. And I felt like either it looks like something out of, do you remember that movie, The Fifth Element? You know, like it looked like something out of like a space movie. <laughs> Or we got that that from so many customers who said like, especially people who knew weighted blankets and had used one for years, they were like, I'm so glad I found Barabee because now I don't have to hide my weighted blanket. So if they had it on the couch, whenever visitors would come in, they would hide it somewhere because it looked so ugly. And now you just have (laughs) like a beautiful chunky knit looking one. And then it's like, oh, this is heavy. Like, you know, but it's like, it just becomes a home decor staple. And uh, I think it's also like the whole topic about mental health and insomnia. It opens up a conversation where it's like, I don't have to hide my weighted blanket or hide my insomnia, my struggles, but I can actually like make it, you know, can be proud of it and I can showcase it and opens conversation if people want to. 
So I think that must be an important one. And I think also we were just like five months into business, like literally still like two people in a garage when Westdown reached out to us and said, well, we've wow. been looking at weighted blankets, but all of them were so ugly and like didn't have like the right materials. Yeah. And we found you, they had read about us somewhere. And I said, can we come into your showroom? I mean, we didn't have a showroom, obviously. So <laughs> I said, well, can we maybe come to you in your Dumbo office? And so we carried like 200 pounds of weighted blankets to the oh office. And, and they locked the blankets. And five months later, we had our blankets already in West Elm. So that was wow. definitely the design element. And suddenly where it's like, okay, this is home decor. It's not only like a medical thing, yeah. but it's a beautiful product. It's a beautiful blanket. Definitely helped us in the early days. And again, also what convinced them family and friends who like were like shying my first prototypes they were like well can I get the orange one can I get the yellow right. one like all these like colors that we changed and made like collections that fit with home decor and like the seasonal trends and the color trends right. so making sure that we're matching those that it really becomes an item that people love and that fits into like their home and mm. so they can express themselves <laughs> So from what you've seen in the industry so far, and by the industry, I mean, you sort of straddle two industries, right? Like you're in home decor, but you are also in this consumer product space of of wellness consumer products, let's say, um, like preventative health consumer products. How, how have you seen the industry shift since you first entered? Like, what are some of the changes that you've experienced? What are some of the trends that you think are continuing? And, and what do you think is next? as far as consumer products and home decor goes? I mean, what I've seen is definitely that uh, consumers are becoming much more educated about certifications, about where's the product made, what's the traceability, mm. um, what does organic mean? And like people are asking for like alternatives. And so, for example, one of the second uh, like products that we launched were uh, body pillows. And most of the body pillows, again, like they're stuffed with like plastic and in it. Um, and we came up where we used uh, we used organic rubber to make a really spongy foam. That is, again, it's like completely biodegradable. It's literally just like natural rubber that comes from a tree. It gets steamed in water. There are no chemicals in it. Um, Wait, natural. I'm sorry. What was the compound you said? Natural rubber. It's just like from uh, from rubber trees. So you have like the, oh, the cool. white tree sap. That's yeah. like collected in coconut shells and then it like it gets <laughs> uh, basically like collected in like a bigger container and from there mm -hmm. it just gets steamed and heated up in a wood-fired oven um oh so God. it's like literally like you get a very spongy spongy foam but it's just natural rubber that's so has like cool. very soft uh, feel and i think that's just also a material that has been overlooked and so we when i saw that and like because obviously now I, I get to see a lot of factories and then on my trip to Sri Lanka, I saw like these, these um, plantations with all these rubber trees. Mm. And I was like, why did no one think about like making a pillow out of this? Right. Like yeah. thinking about like the bed more holistically. And that's been a really good one uh, for us as well. So I think yeah. um, even though like these products, given that they're uh, hand collected, so they're a bit more expensive, but I think people are aware and people they know what the certifications are and what the organic certifications are and they're looking more for that. I think that's one of the trends that I'm seeing and just kind of people um, investing in their health and being mm. more mindful there. 
maybe like five years ago, it's like, well, let me just get like a cheaper option because I want to like maybe throw it out or I don't, I don't think about like what it means sleeping on polyester. I think now people are really aware of what yeah. other options are. And then I think just generally um, when we talk to our customers, it's like a weighted blanket or body pillow is maybe one part of like the their wellness toolkit, but people really broadening their toolkit. So I've seen so many people, you mentioned like nutrition, where people have like, um, like glucose, like now people are like looking into their diet, they're looking into their nutrition. So they have like these different pillars of wellness where people like now going into infrared saunas, into cold plunges. So it's like holistically, I see that people just like shifting and become much more sophisticated and they're looking for each of the pillars. They have a different toolbox. So on sleep, I have my weighted blanket. I might have, I don't know, like a specialized mattress. I know I'm sleeping poor. Yeah. People are getting more and more educated. I mean, there are also the podcasts for me, like Huberman Labs. Yes. All these like, podcasts. Yeah. I like that. I have like also people who work for us at Barabi. It's like they're in their early 20s. They're listening to Huberman Labs, right? So it's like yeah. people start early and early and, and, and want to know and really being educated about their well-being, about health. And um, spending time to listen to like a two, three hour podcast. And <laughs> it's fascinating. And I think I see that shift obviously with people who are surround, surrounded. And I mean, I don't think like when I was in my early 20s um, that we were like that educated and that we know that like that we would know as much as the generation now knows about wellness and how interested they are and more mindful. So I think it's 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 a really positive shift um, that I'm seeing. And I think people in that generation will like live much healthier um, than maybe we did 20 years ago where there was just less resources available also to educate and probably also less options uh, in the market on like sustainable or wellness products um, in general. So I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great shift where people are getting more and more sophisticated and consumers have more options and they know also which options uh, they want because they have the education to pick them. Mm. I love what you said before about the traceability as well. I think that's such a, a key component of so much to do with all things wellness related. Um, and it's something that I, I think, you know, traceability as well as transparency about so much of what's out there. And I think about food products now, <laughs> which I still think, you know, I, I completely agree with what you said about consumers. I think consumers are more educated than ever. We have more information at our fingertips and sometimes it's not always good quality information, but to some extent, I think that's kind of a gift too, because at least it gives people the option to start asking questions, right? Like to, to have, to start knowing, maybe you start with an incorrect assumption, but it doesn't matter because you you've now started down that path of of exploratory, you know, finding the solutions that are actually right for you. So I think it's a great way to kind of bring in consumers, even when it's inaccurate. There's still benefit there. Um, but I think about how what you were saying about some of the materials that you know, and, and specific to food products, there's so much stuff, there's so much labeling and so much regulation that tells you basically nothing about what's in a product, right? It'll tell you lots about what's not in there, and yet what's actually in there, like the alternative may not be as great. So I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to the organic certification and, and why that's a priority for you guys, because in food products, organic does not necessarily mean better specifically because so many things can be 
just as just as well sprayed with a different type of uh, pesticide herbicide, but it it just it just hasn't been as well studied. <laughs> so therefore, it's considered organic, or it's not under the or um the the organic designation, right? So I think like there's some there's some interesting nuance there and some interesting. Uh, components of that, but I wonder what it what it means for fabrics. Like, how does this differentiate for fabrics? How does it stand out? It's a good question because there are like definitely like with more kind of organic options or more sustainable options. There also definitely there's an explosion in different labels, right? Um, right. And there's like there are, you know there's the Better Cotton Initiative, there's the mm-hmm. God Standard. And from a, and all of those would be considered organic, but if you look kind of like a level deeper, it's like what does it mean? So for us, um, our products, I mean, we work with GOTS, um, the Global Organic uh, yeah. Cotton Standard. Um, and for example, what what I think as a consumer, what you need to pay attention to is the traceability across the whole supply chain. So for example, in in something that's third party. Um, traceability um, you can see like you get a barcode so something to pay attention to is if you scan a product um, you would see exactly like where the ingredients came from where like the cotton was sourced and where the fabric is made and then you know that basically uh, along in order for that product to be certified gods the farm needs to be certified the the, where the fabric gets cut and dyed needs to be certified, where it gets assembled needs to be certified, up to the warehouse where it's stored in the U.S. to the office space where the company is like uh, organizing, where the, where basically we are sitting in New York, everything needs to be certified. And there's someone who's like looking into our warehouse, and there's someone who's looking into our farm, and I get like an end-to-end uh, transparency. Yeah. And with some of like the other like certifications where you don't see like the barcode that starts at the orange origin source, there could be a small component to it where maybe the packaging is sustainable, right? And it's like, well, no trees have been hurt when this product was put in a box. But then like, and you could still say, well, this is a sustainable product because the packaging is sustainable. So I think, yeah, to pay attention to is really like that end-to-end supply chain traceability. Because if one link breaks, that's when like things can go wrong and you have then as a customer, like you are ensured that basically everything has been taken care of. I think another one is like that there are regular audits, like at least once per year, someone is looking at each of these stages and they are renewed every year. So if something changes in the composition, basically things, uh, things will be tracked and then your license would not be renewed. And there's also then a code where you can look up the companies and you and you see like the that they're certified and they're certified every year. Right. Um, so I think that's like an important one what we're paying attention because otherwise, if you have like some social component or some packaging, yes. um, I think that's where I would be like questionable. I would question as a consumer because yeah. you can write a lot of things, but I would always look at like the labels. Is it traceable to the origin? And um, do you get like a, a code that shows like end to end that everything has been certified? Um, because mm-hmm. sometimes if, if they don't look at where the farm, where the cotton is made or where the cotton is dyed, uh, there could be breakages um, and uh, in, the, in the chain. So I think that's an important one. Uh, and I wish that's something, mm-hmm. I'm sure for food it also exists. I know food is even more complex 
and uh, to trace back on where's this coming from and like finding the labels. I mean, like, I think uh, cotton is more, it's more straightforward because you have like two, three like certifications that are in trend, but I know with food, it's endless. I'm sure you know more about that than, than me. <laughs> it is really a little endless. That's a very good, very perfect word <laughs> to summarize the entire food industry. Yes. Endless is basically it. Um, so, okay, wait, so let's switch gears to present day for a moment for, for, because I want to know, I know you guys are, are working on a number of different partnerships and I feel like this is a thrilling moment for Barrowbeat. Like it's what a great time to be where you are and, and kind of at this intersection again of home decor and consumer products and wellness. And I think it, it just, I only see this category exploding and I feel like it's great to be having this conversation with you kind of pre-holiday so that anyone who's listening could perhaps consider therapy <laughs> as maybe it's a gift that you want to give your sister, your brother, your brother, your cousin, right? Um, but tell us about some of the partnerships and how these have manifested for you, how you see, how you, what, what your overall view is on brand partnerships with therapy. Yeah. I mean, with brand partnerships, obviously we want to work with like-minded uh, brands that have like the same sustainability ethos. Uh-huh. Um, we always look at like, when we when we think about brand partnerships that they that fit like in the zeitgeist, yeah. um, I think one that I really loved was when we um, during the COVID years in the summer when everyone was um, basically like in lockdown. Yeah, um, we made like a small bundle and we and we we partnered with a popsicle uh, company that made like natural popsicle and we sent people like basically popsicles together with weighted blankets in the summer to create like joyful moments so these are like like some of these fun surprise moments but I think also what we realized as a brand is that they are like 50% of our customers that come to us for insomnia and sleep but then there's the other 50% that come for pain management and anxiety Mm. and uh, while weighted blankets are a great tool we also realized that there is something that we want to give them in addition so we actually just launched three days ago a new product category, which we call the warmables, which is a combination of weight and warms. Oh, so I think I just saw this on your Instagram. Okay, yes. Tell us yeah. about this. Warmables, so what they're called. Warmables. I mean, the the idea, I mean, generally like heat and, and thermotherapy is like, it's very powerful in its own. Um, but then there was no other product out there that combines deep touch pressure of weight with that. So we came up with a collection on just different points where we heard from customers where usually pain manifests the most in the body. And there you have you have the temples, right? You have obviously you have the tech neck. Yeah, yeah we all I'm like feeling my tech neck as as Catherine is speaking, listeners. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Keep going. And then I mean women, you know, menstrual cramps, belly, uh-huh. lower back. Um, so we came up with like a collection attached that that addresses all these um, areas where physical um, pain manifests. And um, basically all of those warmables are filled with natural clay. That's another um, like innovation in, in the sustainability space that we wanted to bring to the market because all these like hot and cold packs, they're usually like plasticky and like they don't last very long and heat like clay is like a very good heat retaining uh, material. 
So you can pop that in a microwave or in an oven for like two minutes, three minutes, and you get 40 minutes of like a really soothing and like natural like heat mm. through clay on the neck, on the eyes, and like wherever you need it. Um, and so we just launched that and like we already like our our tech neck, our neck wrap already sold out in like in one day. So I think we definitely hit the spot with what people need and kind of like um, addressing like these pain management um, and I guess also like people want to want to keep warm up now that the weather is getting colder. So that was like the next level where we thought like now that we got such a good feedback from people over the years on how weighted blankets helps them and like how just with the right amount of weight on the body, be it restless legs, um, insomnia, anxiety, and just combining that with heat, we wanted to take it to a more concentrated form. And uh, yeah, so really excited that uh, we got those out in the world. It's everything I can do as Catherine is speaking right now, not to just go onto the Barabee website, not to get distracted while I'm sitting here and just buy a couple of these. <laughs> I feel like I nothing is helping my tech neck. Nothing. I, I've tried everything. <laughs> I, I Short of having someone stand behind me constantly and just push on my shoulders and be like, stop it. <laughs> I, I mean, like one is like the, the heat, it just relaxes like the muscles, but like what helps me if I have the weight, it just is a reminder of me like to, yes. you know, relax. It's yes. like that subtle cue that sometimes you need when you're like, you know, deep down you're typing, you're doing kind of like you're in between different screens right. and just like the proprietary input that you get from weight, it relaxes naturally like the shoulders. Amazing. So, I mean, we that like it a lot and we've seen, we've seen some really positive feedback. Um, and yeah, it's a I great gift that. for the holidays for sure. Oh my gosh. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay. So I have to ask you this other thing that is coming up for me that I I know, I know you're going to have a great answer for it, but I just keep thinking about how you found your way into this space and that a lot of it had to do with travel and your experience of, of sleep dysregulation when you're traveling. How Catherine, are we going to find a weighted blanket <laughs> that you can travel with? You know, I mean, because I think this, I think about this so much. Like when I'm on the plane, I'm thinking like, and, or when you get to your hotel, like there's so many places <laughs> where I just think if only I had a weighted blanket and then you realize how absolutely unrealistic that is when you are only trying to pack a carry on, <laughs> you know what I mean? They're quite, yeah, they're quite bulky, but we have actually also as part of the um, new collection, we came up with a product called the lounger. And it's a, it's a small oh. like lap pad. It's like the size of, you know, like your upper body. Yeah. And it's, it's seven pounds. It's really concentrated weight, but you can wrap it like in such a small way that it even fits into a microwave. So you can even heat that one up. So that's like completely like if you want to reset the nervous system, you that's pack the seven one. pounds in the microwave and just like put it on your upper body. So yeah, that this sounds is amazing. This is the perfect one. Like it's uh, it's TSA approved, so you can take it through, take it on the plane and on the go wherever and and hotel rooms. So that's something uh, feedback we also got. People get really used to sleeping under weights yeah. when they travel, and then they have to stay on the hotel room without one. So we wanted to make really a smaller amazing. one that you can I'm take so on a plane. Glad. I didn't even know, listeners, I didn't even know she was going to say that. I wasn't aware of this product. So I teed that one up amazingly, but I didn't know that that existed. That, that is pretty amazing. What, how, what is your process 
for for product development? Like, how do you approach innovation at Fairbee? So, I mean, all our innovation we do in house, mm-hmm. and I think the the advantage of being a direct to consumer uh, company and being like mm-hmm. really engaged in social media is that we get feedback uh, right away. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have like every day people writing us who love the product and say, well. If I had this or if you could make that and we collect it throughout the year, we do surveys, we do um, focus groups with people and from there develop like early prototypes and then send them out testing with like a smaller group of people um, that are in our network. Um, for the warmables, we also work with the American Chiropractic Association um, to really make sure because again, such a product has not been out there. How do we make sure that we get the right pro- uh, proportion, right. that we get the right weight, especially like with the heat component into it? So we're bringing in experts, but the really the starting point comes from our community of people because at the end they know best what where where the pain points are quite literally. Yeah. Yeah. And then we our design team internally works with those. We go to like the places where with our manufacturers that we trust, and then. Uh, work with them on finding like new solutions, how we can pull in new materials, more innovative materials. Um, so yeah, that's actually like, it's a lot of fun developing those. And then, I mean, it's it's years in the making and when you bring those yeah. out and uh, you sell out in literally like two days, it's just like <laughs> the whole team is like beyond right. like ecstatic. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So what, so I, now, and you can feel free to answer this however you'd like, but what, have there been any ideas, let's say, that you've started to put into process or started to kind of develop and then you hit a certain point and you go, oh, oh wait, that's not going to work. Or, you know, like, so sort of like the product fail, I would imagine. But, you know, I, 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 I hate to use that word because I know that there's so many great things that come out of at least experimentation. So no, no, I have a fun one. So <laughs> I think one of like our our early product fails was uh, a dog bed. Um, and the early prototype <laughs> that we made is so we had like the different sizes defined, and we already had like a first run of prototypes in, and then what kind of our manufacturer sent us a picture, and there was like a big cat in like the bed and who almost like the cat almost didn't fit in the bed and we realized we had gotten the sizes wrong and we're like okay (laughs) the bed looked beautiful it was like amazing but then we realized okay it's like the cat like literally the legs were out like the tails were out we're like oh my god we definitely got this one wrong and um so we i think we got overly excited you know like we're like this looks so cute and we made it with like right. pink colors and we were so focused on kind of like again the the interior design then we're like well hold on a minute that that like that part i think that would benefit from like just slightly bigger size so that happens and then we have to go back to the drawing board so did the dog beds ever get made did they ever did you did you get to the right size or there you just kind we, of we ended up getting to the right size, but it was like a whole, like, basically, like, you, you lose it here, right? Like, so once <laughs> once this happens, then you have, like, the molds made, and we're like, oh, I wish we had it, like, just uh, thought it through a little bit more, <laughs> but I'm glad we got, like, that picture of, like, we're like, oh, is that cat, like, really that big? Or, like, jumbo or is that cat? Right. <laughs> or is that bat really small? Like. <laughs> Is that a tiger? Is it? It could just be a tiger. I mean, how do we know? 
So yeah, I mean that that happens. I mean, I think it's just like a lot of experimentation. And when you come up with like new products that are new in the market, I think there are automatically like just so many iterations that you have to go through right. and there will be fails and you just need to factor it in timing wise that you might not get it right in the first place. I want to I want to go back to something that you mentioned at the beginning that I I feel like now knowing your story and knowing a little bit more about the product development and and your process for product development and innovation that this really will be interesting for our listeners to hear. But what when you were talking about some of the the processes that you had looked into that were as you described as by the book when you were at um the World Bank, right? Like the the process for development, the process for innovation for female entrepreneurs. What do you think that there's anything in in the proverbial playbook here that really is that's really just silly, that's just dated, that needs to go away because it just did not ring true for you? Or is there and and on the flip side, is there something in there that you're like, yes, anyone listening who's an entrepreneur should definitely do this. I mean, I think one of my early fails was when I launched my Kickstarter campaign, like going back to marketing. And if yeah. you don't know anything, usually you go to like Mr. Google yeah. and you type in who's the best Kickstarter agency. Right. And I think always the ones that come up on top are not necessarily the ones that are the best. So I have a That's funny absurd. story where we developed like an early video with like one of these agencies. <clears throat> And uh, I sent in my only prototype and I paid all my money up front just Aww. to get like two months later uh, a video with like a red leather couch, a stained blanket on it. It was like, it was so bad. <laughs> it's like, I think just doing the doing the research, like don't go with the first result you get on Google, especially if you don't know anything. Right now, like whenever I approach something where I have like, I'm a complete newbie, I would ask someone in my network who has experience about it, like who knows that field and like bring them into a call because they would probably tell in like the first minute that this is a good or bad idea or that person or like that agency probably wouldn't do a good job. And I was just like, you know, you're so happy that you have found someone who, who does that where you don't know anything about. Yeah. So I think like just um, doing the research, if you have someone in the network, bring them along. Um, I think that's a, a like a, a good one where where definitely I could so have avoided uh, uh, that mistake. Yeah. Wow. And what about some of the things that that are sort of like common advice that you feel like? Yeah, actually, this really is definitely take this one piece of advice. I mean, like coming back to the patent. Um, yeah. So I think if you if you see like that you have a new product that like doesn't exist in the market yeah. I think just file file a patent it doesn't need to be expensive you know you can do the drawing yourself you can write something up preliminary um, so but again like if I would have like listened to my initial lawyer I probably said well it will be very expensive uh, why don't you skip that pass and I mean now we have more than 10 patents so I would also especially like women there's so few women who own patents yeah. And I think you see there is something new um, that you don't see in the market. If you're in doubt, just take some time and, and file a patent. Um, because once you launch a product, then 
you can't file it anymore, right? So if you have yeah. that one shot to get a patent and you need to make right. the decision before the product comes out in the market. So I would advise, especially women, is like, if you're in doubt, just, you know, do it. Style. Yeah, that's great advice. You mentioned before about how the patent, like the patent lawyer costs money and you're trying to bootstrap. How do you, how do you make decisions in the early days about where to spend money, especially if you are just starting out on your own? I mean, and I know that this is going to be different for everyone and it's probably a difficult question to answer entirely, but I've struggled with this myself as being a small business owner, you know, like there's just, there's so many question marks that come up of, is this a thing to spend money on? Or is this a complete waste? Right? Like (laughs) I still, I still find myself asking that like just about once a day at this point. I mean, one, one thing I feel like when, when you go about like, what is something that wouldn't differentiate you necessarily? For example, for me, shipping something from the warehouse to a warehouse in the US, like I wouldn't pay more money for like these basic operations um, that basically don't distinguish me from anyone else in the market. But then like when it comes to product, when it comes to marketing and branding, so again, for me having like no marketing background, I also thought like, well, when when it came to create a brand, Airbnb is a brand, but we just do like a quick logo, we put like a color in it and that's it. And then I, I realized, so there is a lot of value in really thinking that yeah. through and taking yeah. like that extra budget towards like creating something that is the brand. And that's right. something I would encourage people to invest. Um, uh, yeah, I was like to like take a, to, to have an agency who can help you out, uh, like a really good freelancer, but don't do that on your own. I right. think that was like, is, is a good advice. Um, like things that are where you can stand out. You stand out with a product, you stand out with the marketing, uh, but you probably don't stand out necessarily in your warehouse or in your shipment or these common processes. So for that, I always try to be efficient, save money, try to find like a a family-owned warehouse that isn't as expensive as a bigger one. But when it came to really product innovation, um, there I think it it makes sense to to put effort and, and, and budget towards it. So, so important. I think that's such good advice. I love that. All right. So I have to ask you as we, as we come closer to wrapping up here, I have to ask you the sort of final question of this podcast, which is really Catherine, if you had to say from all of the things that you've seen recently, from your experiences so far in, in this, in this part of the wellness industry, what do you think is the most bullshit wellness product slash service or brand that you have seen and you don't, if you feel uncomfortable naming names, you can answer this however you like. So I I leave that to you, but what do you think is the greatest, what do you want to call BS on in the wellness space? (laughs) I I would say like, I mean, my friends and I, we always did these like fruit juice cleanses, (laughs) you know, when you drink like these orange juices and carrot juices, like for one week where you don't eat anything. And I think there's the companies out there that sell those to people where I'm like, what were we thinking? Like the spike, like your your blood sugar, your glucose goes through the roof. You don't lose any weight. And it's like, it's horrible because you can't eat. So anyone who's still doing like fruit cleanse, juice, juice cleanse, please stop. I couldn't agree more. I mean, you heard it here, folks. She couldn't have said it better. I've got to be honest. They really could not have said that better. That's amazing. Catherine, tell us where we can learn more about you and about therapy. Where should we go for more information? Where should people, you know, 
think about what, what, what do people need to know to start adding therapy to their Christmas list? <laughs> so you can find uh, our products at therapy.com on the website. Amazing. And uh, yeah, if you want to follow us on Instagram, it's my therapy um, is the handle so that you can learn what we're up to on social and communicate with us. We always love hearing from our customers and anyone in the community. I love that. All right. Before I let you go, I just realized I never asked you, how did, where did the name come from? The name is amazing. Therapy is a combination of bear hug and lullaby. Oh, <laughs> I'm so glad I asked. <laughs> That's so perfect. A combination of bear hug and lullaby. I love it. Catherine, thank you thank so much. You. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to The Business of Wellness. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Remember that advice provided on this podcast is based on my application of research and practice as a registered dietitian and should not replace medical advice provided by your physician. If you like what you're listening to, please follow the show, leave a five-star rating, and share something you love from today's episode by leaving a review. This podcast only grows with your support. So if you enjoyed this episode, share it far and wide. It may be the one thing someone needs to hear to start building that roadmap today to secure a healthier, happier future. That's it for now. So until next time, cheers.